0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthopechurch. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to James chapter 1. I guess my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here. And has have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly, and I am excited to start a new series uh, in the book of James, which we are titling Our Faith in Action. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you should uh, see one in front of you. It's a black Bible. You can grab it and uh, turn to uh, page 1071 and follow along with us. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we want you to take this home with you so that you can read God's Word. It's a gift from us, and we pray that you'll do that. Uh, as well. And uh, if you are a visitor today, we want you to know this is a safe place for you to come to hear God's Word, to see what our church is about, to ask questions, and to hear uh, from the Lord. And that's what we do every time we come to uh, this time. Together we hear from God and from His Word. So uh, let's uh, jump in here. And I have a, a thought for us as we begin Uh, Ashley and I, will be it'll be almost a year in March uh, that we have moved into our new home. We built a home in a new neighborhood just down the road on Capitol and are thankful uh, through the whole process. But as we we had never built a home before, uh, this was going to be our second home, so we were uh, newbies when it came to the world of building. And so uh, we went through the whole process. We walked through the model home. They talked to us about how that was going to be, and then they gave us the timeline. We met with our project manager. And our home, in particular, does not have a crawl space. It uh, has a foundation of concrete. And so when they started to pour that, we started to see, hey, this is what the foundation of our house is gonna be. And we, as they started to put the frame up, we decided, hey, we're gonna pay for an inspector before the drywall goes up, because we want to know how what the condition of these uh, this wood and our foundation is before they ever put drywall and end up not being able to see that. So we had an inspector come out, everything looked great. And as the house was being built, everything was good. We had an inspector come back at the end, and everything was, was great. And so we've been super thankful. But that process of building, uh, I think, brings us and, and focuses our attention here in the book of James. You see, James, very much so, is going to talk to us about faith being the foundation of our lives. And faith is the foundation that produces in us the kind of life that He calls us to. For many of us, we uh, could have, I I professed faith when I was seven years old. Jesus saved me uh, one night at a vacation Bible school. And ever since then, He has been remodeling, He's been renovating the foundations of my heart. It's what He's been doing to your heart. And so now, our foundation is not based on any of our works. It's not based on any of our righteousness. Jesus has been pouring a foundation of faith that then he's constructing in our lives. What does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus? And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes Jesus is very gentle, and it's almost like he's painting the drywall of our hearts. And sometimes Jesus is taking a sledgehammer to the idols of our hearts. And we feel that. don't like We know and we struggle when that's the case. But James, as he talks to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he shows us the foundation of our lives is faith. And out of that springs something beautiful. And so as we start here today, we're going to just look at verse 1 today. We're going to understand where James is coming from. We're going to understand the book together. And so when we, when we look and we take the whole book, here's what we're going to see. James the Apostle writes to the scattered Jewish disciples to encourage them in Christian living. Now, if you're a disciple today, if you've called the name of Jesus, here's what we should know. We have been transformed by our faith in Jesus, which produces action in our everyday lives. Our faith produces action in our everyday lives. Faith, as I've told you, is the foundation, and out of that is where we grow and how we live. It's Faith is actually what produces the Christian life. And we talk about the Christian life. Church, we talk a lot about what our mission is. We're we're here to make mature disciples. We're here to make and grow people into the image of Jesus. And we talk about that as making disciples. We, We make call that discipleship what's the goal of that, what's the goal or the result of discipleship I found a quote this week uh, from a theologian, it says this discipleship is not just information discipleship is not just information it's imitation it's imitation we must model the message and say follow me as I follow Christ The message that we proclaim should be one that we're living. Discipleship and following Jesus is not just that we fill our heads with a bunch of knowledge, but that we we so understand the gospel, we so understand the links in which our God went to to save us, and understand that, that God the Spirit lives inside of us, is that it produces something in us that we actually imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. This, I believe, is the heart of James. He wants us to recognize that this is the real outcome of true and undefiled faith. True and undefiled religion. And so as we come here to uh, verse 1 today, I just want to ask four simple questions. Four simple questions of our book and of our letter that I hope will actually give us some thoughts Uh, and really position us to understand where James is coming from and understand the points that he wants to lay before us. So four questions this morning. Let me ask the first one as we start. Why study this letter? Why should we study the book of James? Well, James writes this letter to address Christians and how their lives should be characterized. In some ways, his first chapters foreshadow what he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. That's why I had... Uh, Miss Katie, read verses 1 through 4 because in some ways it highlights, it foreshadows what James is going to talk about. James wants to connect the gospel with the practical outworking in our lives. He wants us to understand the impact the gospel has in us and on us as those who have given our lives to Jesus. Now James is, is different than most of the New Testament letters. We don't get a deep theology. James doesn't share for us how Christ's death atoned for our sin. We don't get that. But this book is still very theological. What do I mean by that? I mean that the theology that James has drives his practical living. But it drives us to a particular practice. Until he addresses... In the book, 15 times, he addresses us as brothers or sisters. James sees us as a people who hold the same faith. And how does that faith work itself out? James shows us the relationship that faith should have with our everyday life. James is not saying that works or our behaviors save us or that works is a piece of the gospel equation, rather that works and good deeds are the result of the gospel. That good deeds is what happens when we live out the gospel. That faith equals action. We can identify with James in these ways. First, the readers were scattered people. Right, they were trying to... Uh, there had been persecution that broke out uh, early. We read about this in Acts 5 and 6 and 7. Getting into 8 and persecution breaks out and people are Scattered they're trying to rebuild their lives there's lots of transition the readers they they're also were facing great difficulty there are things in our own lives that we say here's the decision in front of me here's the, the obstacle in front of me that I'm trying to pray through trying to work through I'm talking to, to others uh, about how do I actually work and live inside of this these readers, though, were facing particular persecution. And although we don't face the kind of persecution that happened here in what James is addressing, or maybe in the Middle East or in uh, another place in our world, we can identify with what James is talking about. And then the readers were trying to keep the gospel centered in their lives. They're trying to grow in their faith. They're new, right? This is very early in the life of Christendom, like very early. And so they're trying to figure out, how do I live a holy life? How do I actually pursue Jesus? James was fighting the religious pageantry to show what real and true faith is. To show what real transformation is. It's not that James comes to us and he lays out, he's going to lay out lots of thoughts and lots of encouragements and, and even exhortations to us to follow. But it's easy for us to come on Sunday morning, it's easy during the week, even in our own personal study, to we want to have a some sort of religious experience, which can be good and helpful. But there are times when we we just want all the good stuff, and we don't actually want what God needs to do. We don't want God to come in with a sledgehammer and tear down that idol in our hearts, do we? Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author who has passed away, he wrote this. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what the earlier generations of Christians called holiness. What Eugene is talking about is that there are people we say we want it. The words come out of our mouth, but do are we really committed to the long process of becoming like Jesus. And what James shows us is that is a long, hard road. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that the road is narrow. Do we want this? That's a question I think we have to ask. As we, Why do we come, to, why should we study James is because it helps us understand this is what it looks like to follow Jesus in faith. Now James, he's going to address different areas of our lives. He's going to address wisdom Right, from the Lord, how do we live in a wise way? He's going to address riches. Right? He's going to address money, wealth, and poverty. And how, how to help us, and his understanding helps us view money rightly and view our money rightly. He's going to address the tongue, what we say, how we say it, when we say it, why are we saying it. He's going to address impartiality. How do we talk about and treat others He's going to talk about good works, action, service, just as Paul did in Ephesians 2, that we were saved for good works. And he's going to talk about self-control. How do we live this life when we're bombarded with uh, potential temptation and even suffering? The reason we study the book of James is to connect our faith to practical Christian living. And that's our prayer as we start this book together. Now let me ask you the second question. Who is this letter from? Who's this letter from? Now, when we come to this letter, it's important for us to understand who James is, Who who is writing to us. We believe that this letter is God's word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If I look there at verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is... From James, but more specifically, it's a letter from James, who is the half brother of Jesus. This isn't James the disciple. It may be interesting to know that James doesn't list this as a descriptor. He doesn't list, "I'm the half brother of Jesus," because he understands that being the physical, biological half brother of Jesus doesn't give him, give him any weight or authority or experience to speak to spiritual matters. But this is James. Uh, the half brother of Jesus, and we know that James became a, an apostle after the resurrection, right? Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15:7 that Jesus appeared to his brother James before he ascended into heaven. This is important to hold uh, an important note because we believe that apostles are people who saw the risen Lord and were commissioned by the risen Lord. And so James is one who received that message and was commissioned by Jesus after his resurrection. Paul also calls James an apostle in Galatians 1. James holds an authority, not because he's the half-brother of Jesus, but because he's been, been commissioned by the risen Lord. And he is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So when we come to this letter, and particularly the entire Bible, we come to God's Word. We believe that this is God's Word. So when we read it, when we memorize it, when we say it, we are speaking God's Word. This is how He's revealed Himself to us and particularly in the person of Jesus Christ and how that impacts our lives. And now James, his commissioning by Jesus gives him authority to write this letter. But authority isn't everything. You can have the most authority and be the worst boss in the world. Maybe you've experienced that. Just because you have the title doesn't mean you can actually speak and it be heard and received. James's words are received. Why? Why are, why are his words received? Another important detail is that James was a pastor at the church in Jerusalem, the first church. James was an elder of this Jerusalem church. We know that he oversaw the first council. There was a huge dispute. What do we do concerning Jewish tradition and Gentiles who are coming to faith? What do we do? And so James presided over that council where Paul and Barnabas and others are speaking and James is the one helping lead this. James was a pastor. And James is de- described by Paul as being a pillar in the Jerusalem church. And when we know in uh, in the latter half of Acts that Paul actually comes and reports to James as a pastor of the Jerusalem church and to tell him what all God had done in the Gentiles. As we come to this letter, may we read it and hear it and pray over it and speak its words from a pastor, a dearly loved pastor in our lives. We hear James exhorting us to walk as Jesus walked. It can be easy to misunderstand, to become bitter, to become overwhelmed by the way that James lays before us the Christian life. He, He exhorts us. He commands us to walk differently. He doesn't do this out of wanting to catch us in sin and be like, I told you so. No, James, he comes alongside of us and he, he shows us this is what is best for you. This is what's best for your family. This is how you can walk and know Jesus better. He doesn't come to us and laying down the law. He comes to us and showing what the foundation of faith actually does in a Christian's life. My goal is to read this letter. As I've are, as I've been reading, preparing for this, is to read and hear from James as a dearly loved pastor to help me with my walk with Jesus, to help my walk with my family and my neighbors and with you. I pray that you'll use the same disposition with me. Now continue, though, in James' description. He says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James has not come to Lord over us, as I've already said. He comes in humility. He's, he's coming on the same playing field. James has surrendered his life, just like we have, to Jesus. And first... James says that he is a servant of God. This means that he has submitted his life to Jesus Christ as his Lord. This word servant is strong. James is saying that God is his master and Jesus Christ is his Lord. James may have the authority of an apostle, but he sees his service as the goal and not his authority. Nothing else in the world will take a the priority away from loving Jesus, following Jesus, and giving his life for Jesus. Just as James has given his loyalty to Christ, may we give our loyalty to Christ as well. We come, when we hear the gospel, we receive it, and we, it takes root in our hearts, and Jesus, as I said, he's, he's, he's building in us on this foundation of faith. May our loyalty to Jesus transcend everything in our lives. Even our families, even our jobs, even our kids. May our loyalty to Jesus transcend all of that. And for James, this is what it does. And second, he's describing himself as a servant who also identifies with, with us as his readers. He does not speak to us as one who is over us, but one who is, who is beside us, running the race together. He's, he's bringing us along in this. James speaks to us as someone who understands the brokenness of our world, understands the brokenness of our own lives, and he's he's helping carry us to the finish line. He's helping show us how the gospel encourages and challenges and and helps mold us into Jesus. And thirdly, with this disposition of a servant, James writes to us as an older brother. As I've told you, he uses the word brother 15 times in this letter. That's three times a chapter. James has followed Christ. James has seen God move in miraculous ways. He's seen people come to faith by the thousands. James has seen the gospel take root in people's lives. And eventually, James gives his life for this gospel. James knows. He understands where we're coming from. And as it being inspired by the Holy Spirit, James... Has a unique opportunity in our lives that we hear from him as a brother. That we hear from him as someone who's looking out for us. I don't know about you, but I had a I have a younger brother. He's two and a half years younger than me. And as we grew up, man, we we fought all the time. We fought all the time. I, I broke pool sticks over his head. We 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 I tackled him into a into a foosball table one time. That was really bad, actually. We had to go to the hospital. But all all of those kinds of things, right? You know, if you've had, if you have siblings, but over the years, or even then, though, even then, maybe in middle school, like I, if someone else messed with my brother, I was coming after them because I cared for him. I didn't want anybody to know that then, but but I, I knew that if someone came after him, then they were coming after me, and I was going to protect him. Fortunately for me, as we got older. He was much larger and stronger than I am, so I don't have to worry about that. I just call him if someone's coming after me now. But this idea of brother matters. When we read James, we should come to say, hey, he's coming to look out for us. I think that would cause us to, I want to ask you this question that you would think about. If you don't have an older brother or sister who is helping you walk in the faith, find someone. To help, hey, when these start hitting hard, when these things, when James is all up in our business about what the gospel does, find an older brother or sister, a wiser brother and sister, and say, hey, how are you handling this? How how is your life modeling this? Because I'm struggling. If If you are the older brother or sister in the room, seek those people out. How can you help bring people along? And as the author, James wants us to see how our faith produces action in our lives from a fellow runner in the race, a fellow brother, and a loved pastor. So we've, we've asked why should we study the letter. We've asked who is the letter from. Now let's ask who is the letter for. Who's the letter for? Continue in verse 1. To the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. James addresses his readers as the twelve tribes. James is writing to a particular Jewish Christian audience. And most likely, if I say he's writing to them extremely early in the life of the church. This letter is most likely the first letter in all the New Testament, even before the Gospel accounts. James is writing extremely early in the life of the church. Right, this, It's potentially 10 to 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. That's how early this is in the life of our church. And it's important to note, because this is what was going on. The church was started in Jerusalem, right? So it takes root among the Jews, and was made up of a lot of of those in Jerusalem and those who had converted uh, converted to Christ. James, as I said, is the pastor in Jerusalem. uh, This Jewish context is his context. James seems to play on the same themes too as the Sermon on the Mount. James heard in some way, understood, heard the Sermon on the Mount or or thoughts from it. And this in some ways reflects that As, as we walked through the Sermon on the Mount last year. In some ways they'll be similar in what we talk about. And James is not only speaking to Jewish Christians, he's speaking to us. Yes, this is a particular context. He's writing to his Jewish brothers and sisters, but he's writing to Jews who are Christians. That's why it matters to us, because we share the faith with them. We are their brothers and sisters. And when we read James' introduction, we don't get a free pass on what he says because he's writing to Jews. He sees them as the true Israel. He sees them as, meaning the, the Jewish Christians, as they are truly God's, people because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ you are God's people. We are God's people. And so we come to this as hearing from our God, not just from from a God that's way out there but from a God who is near to us and a God who loves us and is for us. Now look back at that phrase again, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. This term dispersed could be translated in our Bibles as a noun, the dispersion, or as I like, I love this translation, those scattered among the nations. This phrase is a throwback to when the Jews were taken into captivity, but also to play on the context that they were in. So in the first century, there were many Jews in many different places all across uh, the Roman Empire at this point. And so James is writing to a scattered people. But I think this phrase actually describes us as well, doesn't it? Are we not God's people scattered among the nations? Are we not the people of God who are waiting to be reunited with him and his family, with each other? This letter helps us consider our time and place, who we are, and what we are about. As disciples, we're called to continue spreading the kingdom of God through sharing the gospel, engaging our community with the gospel, both in word and in deed. This happens as we are scattered. This is not our home. This place is not our home. This world is not our home. It has to be applied specifically, though. This nation is not our home, although we are thankful that we're able to gather, hear, and pray, and read, and not have to worry about persecution. There's a blessing here. But this is not our home. And when we get the loyalties mixed up, then we, we are definitely not being formed into the image of Christ. The gospel is not taking root in our lives. And I do believe that if we are loyal to the king then we will be good citizens here for our context and our neighbors. But our loyalties cannot get mixed up. And James is clear on this. And this language also brings to mind how the church is spread in Acts 8. Right? They were persecuted. The, the persecution breaks out in chapter 6 and 7 of, of what's going on in the early church and in Jerusalem. And so the ordinary people scatter. The everyday Christians scatter scatter. The apostles are held up in Jerusalem. So how does Luke describe the spreading of the gospel in the early part of the Christian life, of of Christianity? It's by the ordinary people. It's not by the apostles. It's by ordinary people sharing their faith. Even a church in Antioch is planted, and we have no idea who planted the church. One of the, the greatest missionary churches in all of history. Church plants, missionaries sending Paul and Barnabas out. We have no idea the names of the people that planted that church. No idea. So what that tells me is that they were just ordinary, everyday Christians living life as the gospel mattered to them. Sharing it, showing it, speaking it. There's ordinary folks sharing the gospel. Church, we are the same we are defined as a sent and scattered people. And we gather weekly for, to worship our Lord, to be encouraged and challenged, to be built up in the face so that this foundation doesn't crack, so that we then go out scattered into our homes, into our workplaces, into our jobs, so that the gospel of Jesus is made known and that the name of Jesus people would bow their knee before Him now so they will not have to when He comes back. We want them to do that voluntarily, to submit their lives to Him now. As God's people, we're called to reflect Jesus. Our faith empowers us to live as these sent people. This is what we're called to. This is how Jesus lived. And so James, when we look here at verse 1, this is what we see. This is who he's writing to. Now, let me ask you this question as we consider the book what is this letter about what's the letter about as we start the journey through the book of James what I want you to think about is to consider it as a whole right James what would have happened is uh, when the letter was received in the churches or in maybe in if they were hiding out in persecution it would have been read it in a home maybe where there were uh, you know 15 20 30 people and they would read the whole letter So I encourage you to go read the whole book of James in one sitting. It shouldn't take you but, you know, 20 minutes. And so they would read it all. So I want us to think about the whole book as a whole and and read it that way. Overall, James is communicating to us, he's encouraging, exhorting us to real, pure, and tangible Christian living. There are 54 imperatives, 54 commands in this letter. We are to be people who believe the truth of the gospel by, while putting that truth in action. Not just people who hear it and put it in our brains. Our faith cannot be held up in our hearts. It cannot be jailed in our bodies. It must be spread and talked about and, and, and actually shared with people that do not know Jesus. And as I've already said, James is different by design. James sees work as an expression of the life change that we've experienced. Faith produces works in us. It overflows out of us into our lives and into our families and into our workplaces. James understands that the gospel must be imported into our hearts, right? We should accept the gospel. But then it has to make its way in our head and in our hearts out into our hands so that we apply it. Faith is not opposed to good works. Rather, the relationship is important for the Christian life. We we don't believe that works save us in no way, shape, or form. And it's easy to look at the book of James, and especially the overview of it, and to compare that to Paul's letters, and say, well, they're talking about different things. that they're opposite. They contradict. Paul says that we're justified by faith, but James, maybe in chapter 2, maybe he says we're justified by faith works. well. Here, I want to put something on the screen for you. First, there's going to be verses that we're going to look at quickly. In Paul's writings, Paul writes this in Romans 3, for we maintain that a man is justified by what? Faith, apart from observing the law. Galatians 2, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by what? By observing by, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. What does James say? We look at chapter 2. James says, you, are, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, that comparison seems a little opposite, doesn't it? We have to understand the context and the reason that James is writing this. So the next slide is going to show you, what it brings out who and what they're talking about. Paul is writing for justification before God by faith. James is talking about justification before men by works. Right? Paul said justification is an eternal position by believing and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Right? It's not something that we do. We don't do anything to earn salvation. That's what Paul's talking about. James is talking about what's the the product of this faith, this salvation in our lives. It's It's justification before men. It's justification as a daily proof for what we do. When people see us, they say, something's different. Or, yeah, they actually are modeling what the Bible says. Justification is behaving like Christ. While Paul says faith and justification is believing in Christ. They go together. Let me me show you why. Let me read you Romans 4.2. Paul brings the example of Abraham. He says, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. What Paul is saying is that if anyone can boast about works, it's Abraham. If he can boast, he can. But what? But not before God. Even Paul understands that there's a way for us to say, yes, the works of our faith matter, but those don't save us. And James is not concerned with that that issue. James is more talking about how do we live out the gospel together. It's out of that understanding of works, which is really the fruit of faith, that James writes this letter. He believes that all Christians will demonstrate the transformation they have received. That it's real and tangible. James, in many ways, he provides many sermons for us to digest and consider and and actually put into practice. He provides topics and categories for the Christian to consider and then to examine our lives with. James doesn't just come here and just talk. He actually, in some ways, you could actually break these up into sermons on these different categories and topics. First, he's going to talk to us about faith in trials, faith in suffering, faith in temptation, faith in God's Word, which is the ultimate thing that's going to get us out? You know, be able to preserve in those things, to persevere. Then it's going to be faith connected to to prejudice and how we treat others. Right in chapter two, James is going to talk about we cannot be bigots. We cannot we cannot actually like someone because of their money and and put someone else who doesn't have money in a certain in another place. So James is going to talk to us about how we view people according to the gospel. And then he, in the same way, he's going to continue to talk to us about how neighbor love works itself out. James helps clarify what neighbor love looks like and how faith transforms how we think and how we view people. And then James is gonna give us this idea of of faith and controlling our tongue or maybe this idea of wisdom. James directs us to consider what we say and seek wisdom from God and how we live and how we talk to people. James is also going to show us where conflicts come from. This idea of worldliness in chapter 4. All right, there's conflict that comes out of our own hearts. And James talks about, no, that's not, what, that's not how the, the gospel is, is shown. It's not how the gospel is lived. And James shows us where true peace comes from. That's only in the gospel of Jesus. And ultimately, he shows us that even in, in these conflicts, it doesn't matter because we're not in control god is and then towards the end of his letter there are these ideas of faith and preserving faith and persevering and he talks about money and prayer and patience right james challenges us to let our faith tell us how to live in these situations when we know that we're waiting on the lord faith in christ is what gets us through When we know that there's big decisions around our money, let our faith drive that. Not the world. And not our own thoughts. At the end of the day, this letter really helps us think through real life categories. It actually helps us say, how does the gospel change me? And that's what's going to happen. How does the gospel actually inform how I live? We cannot just say we believe it. We cannot just say we trust in Christ. We have to actually demonstrate that. And we all know this. What what is one of the biggest accusations against the church in America? Is that we're hypocrites. To to be honest with you, we're all hypocrites because we all are going to sin. We we, we believe in Christ, we trust in Christ, but we're not going to be perfect. But here's the difference this gospel that James is going to present to us now it works itself out in our lives, we can come to a place if we really, letting the gospel work itself in us, then we confess that sin and we ask for forgiveness and we pursue peace and we pursue Christ and we let the gospel actually work and have its way in us. We will never be perfect. And when we read this letter together, as we work through it, we are not going to be perfect. You cannot be. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came in the first place. Because we had already sinned against an infinite God and we had racked up an infinite bill. And it's because of Jesus. He lived a perfect life, a life that we couldn't live. And he gave his life on the cross to die in our place. To pay for our sin. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we trust in him. And not only did he, did he give his life on the cross, not only was he buried, and not only was did he actually... Uh, pay for our sin, he was raised three days later to vindicate that this man, this, this God-man is the one that could change everything. And we don't come to this to, to try to be to be more holy. We don't come to this to try to be more righteous. We don't come to this to try to check off a box. We come to this to be more like Jesus. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to be able to empower us to be like Jesus is Jesus. And if we come to this and we think, yeah, hey, let me write all these topics down and I'm going to be able to do these. You're not. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of community, and with the power of God's Word, I pray that we will look more and more like Jesus. This totally flies in the face of this idea of easy believism. What do I mean by that? Just to say, yeah, I believe in this. Yeah, I do that. No, it flies in the face of that because we're not talking about checking boxes. We're not talking about just saying we believe, but we're talking about real, serious life change. And when we do that, when we when we, when we experience that, one, what kind of joy does that produce in us to know that God is working in us? Well, how does that actually make its way into other people's lives? That we actually, this same faith that's a foundation for us, it's then actually, it flows into everyday life and people, this is the faith that we proclaim to the nations, that the people who have rejected Christ over and over and over again, you can be made whole again. You can be made righteous. And this is the same faith that in all of that, in our transformation and gospel proclamation, it's the same faith that enables us to worship our God. Come to James that way. Come to James and learn that way. My prayer is that the Lord uses this letter to hold up the mirror of the gospel so that we may look into it. And it may be hard, but it will show us what it looks like to walk in step with our Lord. To show us how to love Jesus better. Not because we're trying to earn salvation, but because it's the right thing that's out of that. As, we, as Jesus has given us salvation freely of his own accord and we want to we desire to love him and walk with him and that we love our neighbor in the same way will you pray with me God as we start this journey in this letter in your word I pray that we I pray that we're made into the image of Jesus together not because we're trying to earn salvation, but rather because we live this way because we have been saved. We proclaim that it's the only the name of Jesus that can save us. We proclaim that it's only through your Holy Spirit and your Word that we can be truly tra- transformed. We proclaim that you've given us this family of believers, this church family, to help us look more like Jesus, so that the world, so that we can be a testimony to the world to show them that this gospel is real, and it's tangible and it's transformative. God, we need you. And I also know that we can. We can live this way because of your Spirit that lives inside of us, because of your Word. It can cause us to walk in this faithfulness. God, as we start, I pray that the foundation of our faith will be strengthened, that we will build on that. And I pray that that foundation will spring new life, a, a, a building that's worth it to be seen, to be shown to the world that you, as you talk about, are trophies of your grace. May we be trophies of your grace and kindness to the world together. We ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, amen.